Who the bloody hell's that? Morning, Ange. Oh, Anthony. How are we? I'm really well. How are you? <laughs> Come on in. I will do. Thank you. Did that sound staged? Just a little. No, it's fine. fine. Yeah. I'm going to embrace the whole lounge pant thing next time. I'm going to put my University of New Hampshire lounge pants on. You should indeed. You're listening to the Corona Diaries, a sometimes random and often irreverent attempt to understand the psyche of singer Steve Hogarth. Hello and welcome to chapter 85 of the Corona Diaries. Yes, 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 yes. Sorry about all the buzzing and humming, because we are in the kitchen. We're in the kitchen. We're in, we're in Shea Hogarth, uh, and Anthony's been allowed back in. Yes. After all this time. All this time. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I'm wearing a hazmat suit. <laughs> <laughs> Before we go any further, you, you, you're going to have to... the actress t- said of the bishop, <laughs> yes. I don't know if she did say that, actually. Um, you're going to have to... You're going to have to describe that. You're going to have to... The moose. Oh, Anthony's been admiring the moose, which is... um, It's just a Christmas decoration. He's hanging on the wall. I got him in Sainsbury's a couple of years ago. And he's... You know those... Remember Billy Bass, the singing fish? Yes, I do. Yes. And it used to sing, didn't it? Yes. Well, it's a bit like a a rain, a moose version of Billy Bass. It it, it sings a little, sings Christmas songs, and its its antlers light up various colours, and its mouth moves Mm -hmm. while it sings. And it's uh, proximity sensitive, so he bursts into song whenever you walk past him, which is extremely irritating, so you have to keep switching him off. And he's got a repertoire. He has. Yes, yes, he's, he, I think it's only a repertoire of two. Is it? He sings We Wish You a Merry Christmas and he sings Dashing Through the Snow, right. whatever that's called. Right. Jingle Bells, right. of course. Right. And is it the way he's been erected? Because he, he's, he's, his antlers are a little limp, aren't they? Yeah, they are. Well, he's been stuffed into a few bags over the years right. and that's probably taken a little bit of the, the stiffness out of him. <laughs> Don't think back on what you just said. <laughs> Haven't we all? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's an age thing. Um, <laughs> on the subject, on the su- in fact, no, it's not on the subject, completely unrelated. Yeah. We need to shout out to Scott, don't we? Scott Forte from Scott Texas. Scott Forte. Yes. yes. I could even read that out. I, well, I think you should. I've got it here. He said, as someone who's been asking for the Crooncast, I, I can't do this in a... T- as someone who's been asking for the croon casts, is that Texas? Not really. It was really. more dirty, Harry, than. As someone who's been asking for the croon casts to be collected and released so I could listen to them regularly, thank you for curing me of that. The happy birthday, Mr. President, will take some time before I can exorcise it from my brain. Sorry, Scott. Sorry. You, you love it really, don't you? Oh dear, I think we should wrap that up and send it to Scott. <laughs> or somebody ought to put it on his phone as a as a as a ringtone. <laughs> I did wonder actually after I recorded it if it was a bit much. <laughs> but not for long. No. 
No, and we did it anyway. <laughs> yeah. Um, so eighty-five, and I'm and I'm here. I just happened to be down the road. Down the road. I was in Milton Keynes. Well, yes. It took me a while well, to escape Milton Keynes. Well, never mind. Um, yeah, it it's, takes everybody a while it's to escape. A strange old place, isn't it? Yeah, it's a funny place. Very funny. Yeah, because it's built on a grid system Mm. of roads with roundabouts at every junction. Mm. So it's just a hell of roundabouts. And then there's there's a bit of good shopping in Milton Keynes compared to the open countryside that surrounds (laughs) it. (laughs) Relative to a a field. There's some good shopping in Milton Keynes. And... Once you get out of Milton Keynes, there's a couple of fairly pretty villages. In fact, I think the original village of Milton Keynes is probably very nice, although I've not been. Right. But then they developed the whole area into a, a new town, as as everybody knows. Um, oh, you'll be giving spoilers away. And it's not the most uplifting no. place no. on earth. No. No, I found that a bit this morning, to be honest, when I was trying to get out of it. Um we're gonna we're gonna try and talk a bit about dot com today. Um, mm, should get close, uh, yeah, I, I, <laughs> close to the microphone. I'm there. Close I'll get a bit closer as well. We'll try and talk about dot com today because um, we're up to dot com in albums, aren't we? I think the last one we we, we had a we forty seven goes at radiation. Finally had a chat about radiation, right? And then dot com. So we're now going to be because you keep saying this. We're now at the point where you can remember things. You, you have said that. Mm. You, you have declared that. Mm. So the whole process of making .com... <laughs> I'm just looking at a face that's <laughs> suggesting this is this is going to be more like a trailer than an episode. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've, well, maybe bits will come back to me. A legacy. It's the last album for Castle, wasn't it? It was the last of the three, wasn't it? Yes. Yes, and we called it Marillion.com because we wanted to point everybody at the website, the website. which we'd just created, uh, which was all very new and cutting edge back then. Nobody had websites, and, and we'd got one. Um, and um, I remember Mark particularly saying, this is the future, lads, and we've, we've, we've got to point everybody at this. We've got to find out who they are. We've got to get their email addresses. And I was sat in a corner thinking, I wonder what he's talking about, uh, which I still do. Still do. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it was it was uh, a, a turning point, really, in many ways, in 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 the band's freedom um, and the way we do things. You know, it, it became possible to do things the way we do things now with a with a big family around the world, which is so groovy it's not true um and so actually, that was it i'm just going to jump jump very quickly to past up having made the album to the artwork but only because it's relevant to this point because it had pictures in didn't it the album sleeve for dot com had loads of fan photos in it yes we 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 encouraged everybody to take a passport photograph and send it in and um, oh wow! So it was before sending JPEGs or anything like that. In of course, yeah, it would have been. Cause it's a yeah, smartphone, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, they were just they were passport, passport photos, photos, right? They were all sent in and then painstakingly uh, glued together by I think Eric Nielsen for that for that for those two two collages, and we included passport photographs of ourselves in in it that are randomly placed in amongst. 
Right. I remember going to uh, Bicester and sitting in a passport booth <laughs> and getting getting a shot of myself and giving. We we had to have one each. So that must have been huge. So we're on there somewhere. That when it was that must have been like a table size when it was actually. It must have been. Yeah, I don't know what he did. Whether he stood on top of a chimney to photograph it. <laughs> yeah, because you'd have had to have photographed the photographs <laughs> from a very long way away. <laughs> That's actually quite a work of. That's quite clever. Yeah. If that, I, I just because I just assumed it was all digitally done, but no, no, it was all proper old school collage. Right, and was that part of the whole idea of the family? Then was that? Yeah, that was that. When when people had, had committed to pre-ordering it and buying it up front. Um, then that I think that idea followed from that. Let's get them to let's get them to send photographs of themselves, and we'll we'll try we'll try and print as many faces as we can, as well as printing the names. Um, I, I'm sure we never managed to get everybody in there, um, no. but um, that was that was the attempt. Wow, that's brilliant! Knowing that Eric did it with passport photos, yeah. that's really really brilliant. Oh well. Do you know what? This episode's complete now. It's worth it for that. All right. It's worth it for that. So we'll see, we'll see you next week. Um, back, to, back to tracks. Back to... So you come off... You'll have come off... Um, I'm trying to think if anything happened in between radiation and dot-com. Anything solo or anything like that. I can't remember off the top of my head. I don't know if it did or I not. wouldn't have a clue, Anthony. No, no. Someone would have to write in Somebody and tell me. Somebody would have me. to tell us. Um, um, I'd talk about it. <laughs> So this will have been what second or third album written at Racket? Whoa, no, probably. Well, Brave was Brave Brave was written at uh, was commenced at at what was Little Racket at the time, and then we moved round the corner uh, to Big Racket and and did Afraid of Sunlight. So so then uh, so that would have been the fifth. One that we faffed about, you know. Certainly, we 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 were. At, I think Brave was just at the faffing stage, but Afraid of Sunlight was actually recorded um, at the Racket Club. Um, and beyond that, they were they were all recorded there, apart from when we sort of occasionally would bail out and go to somewhere like Real World. Mm. As a treat to get to get away from what had begun begun to feel like the office, and you yeah because you mixed didn't you mix radiation Oswestry? That's right at, at Phil Beaumont's place Phil Beaumont, at, yeah. the, at the Forge. Yeah, we did. We mm. had a lot of fun there, um, and we did that gig at the Walls, didn't we? And, you did and the gig at the Walls, we, which became unplugged at the Walls. Yeah. Um, and that was brother's idea. He went round there and said, "There's this great restaurant over the back of there. I've done a deal with the owner." I said, "What?" He said, "I've told him we'll do a gig for him if we can eat there free for the whole time we're here." I said, "That's genius." Uh, and so we, <laughs> we ate. I don't, I, I don't know who came out out of it best. Probably, probably the walls. Yeah, I imagine so. Yeah, I imagine so. You do have a knack of a band of a band of. Having these ideas that are going to benefit you that end up ultimately being a shitload of work. Yeah, yeah, um, but you know. Well, not just as a band. I mean, think about this podcast. It's not just about the money. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to. Uh, I'm, I'm going back 
to see what I can I can find about production credit. I'm not because I'm not in my normal space. I'd normally go to the shelf and pick the album off. Oh yes, and, uh, and I bet you've not got a copy ever. No, <laughs> <laughs> have you got a copy of any of them? Yeah, I have. Have yeah. you? I've got. I've, I might have a copy of dot com actually, right. but it's probably still got the cellophane on it. Cellophane on it. Yeah, I'd be ashamed to disturb it. Yes, it would do now. Yeah. <laughs> We might get to a point where the world needs a sealed copy of .com for some major reason. Of course. You know, and if that's the case. Actually, on that subject, I've got a sealed copy of Season's End. Um, Season's End was such a huge album for me that I thought, I don't ever want to be in this terrible, isn't it? I don't ever want to be in a situation where my CD copy goes down and I can't get another one. I had a lot of faith in you as a band. (laughs) <laughs> You'd still be around, so I bought a second copy, right. which is still sealed. Huh. I've obviously bought all the remasters and everything since then, so I've got about twelve copies of Seasons End. But but yes, for a while I kept a sealed copy just in case. Yeah, yeah. just in case. I don't know what would have meant I would have broken it open, but there we are. Anyway, um, back to dot com then. Mm. So you go back and you start writing in the way that you would normally. Because we're in a tried and trusted writing methodology now, aren't we? It's never really changed from no. day one. It's always been jam for ages and uh, on no account attempt to finish <laughs> anything for at least a year and a half. Uh, because if you do, it won't be ready because it hasn't been on the shelf for long enough. Anything like long enough. No, exactly. So... It's a bit like making champagne. It's got to be in the. It's got to go in the cellar for a while, and um, this was no different. I don't think. I, in fact, I'm talking rubbish because I think this one was developed more quickly. I think at that point in our careers, things were getting pretty tight, and uh, the pressure was on to get stuff done, um, and so. I don't think we'd have taken as much time over dot com as as we have over over an hour before it's dark and fear mm. where we really have taken time. Mm. Um, with dot com, I think we went at the racket club and the process was the same, but I think we were developing ideas and, and nailing things together a bit a bit quicker, and that probably shows in the song arrangements. I was just about to say that. Shorter songs? Yeah, Deserve, for instance, doesn't really go anywhere much uh, musically. No. You know, it hits a groove and a chord sequence and sort of stays there, doesn't it? I I think the the chorus is very similar to the verse musically. Mm. Obviously, I sing, there's a different melody and and, and there's a, a chorus lyric on it. Um, but I don't, you know, it's not it's not an involved cross country kind of piece of music. It's just a straightforward one, two, three. Here mm-hmm. we go. Um, and the same is true of of Rich. Really, was very straight ahead. They're both sort of written with a sort of sixties pop head on, mm-hmm. really. Um, and then of course. Lulu is much more all over the place, um, more episodic, more more lots of different ideas riveted together. Um, 
And 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 Lulu took longer. I remember um, coming up with you know all that. Um, use the anger paint a picture of it stuff. That was all. See, this is the downside of recording in the kitchen, is that men are going to be delivering parcels all day. And it was a man delivering parcels. Because as I've said before, there is a world cardboard shortage, and that's (laughs) because it's all in this room. Well, clearly the world (laughs) thought you were getting short again, because Sloane Moore's just turned up. Oh, yeah, yeah, It's, it's, it's constant. It's constant. That could be... Uh, oh, it looks like Christmas decks. Does it? Yeah. Oh, it is. It's it's twinkly lights. Is it twinkly lights? Yeah. Yeah. Right. No accompaniment for the moose, then? No. <laughs> what, what would you get to accompany a moose? It'd be a reindeer, wouldn't it? <laughs> I, I, yes. Or a singing mouse on his head. <laughs> Do very high-pitched backing vocals. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I don't know if any of that will make it in. No, no, maybe, maybe, maybe not. Um, so yeah, Lulu, Lulu took longer. Yeah, Lulu took longer. Um, a legacy. I think that came together quite quickly because um, I think Rothers had that. Guitar part. Um, would that have been Pete that dreamt that up? It's the kind of thing he would have dreamt up. Um, but yeah, there, there was the guitar sections were were all all rothers. The second cardboard. It's all delivery. making sense now. Yeah, the second cardboard that there is about <laughs> what, to. What I said about the cardboard. Yeah. It's making a lot of sense. It's like this every day. Oh, and you see, that's a really strange shape, that uh, one. I'm intrigued oh, as wait. to what that is. I'll wait till the big one comes. Oh, that is the big one. That's probably um, a roof, roof rack bars for the Volvo. Oh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. but don't put that in a podcast. <laughs> oh, that's a bit. That's a bit uh, disappointing. That's actually. the least rock and roll thing <laughs> I've ever done in my life. Is order roof bars for a Volvo. Volvo. It doesn't get less rock and roll than that. Look at a roof box coming, <laughs> and a nice meerschaum pipe and some tweed <laughs> slippers. Please tell me you got some driving gloves. <laughs> no, I haven't got any, but I ought to get some to go with that. <laughs> Somebody else paint co- cockpit partridge on the side of your car. You should be Swedish driving gloves. <laughs> well, where were we? Super safe. Super. Uh, <laughs> uh, we were. Uh, we, right, I was on. I was on um, a legacy, wasn't I? Um, well, that was a John Helmer lyric. A legacy that was one of one of John's um, that I threw down <laughs> on a wet Wednesday afternoon, <laughs> and um, yeah, God, I can't remember how they came together, but I think they came together pretty quickly. Those, uh, I think, I think Steve had got a few of these sort of up tempo, quite sixties ish sort of. Guitar ideas. They might even have been Pete's, to be honest. I can't remember who who originated some of those grooves, but they're very straightforward. Mm. 
so they could easily be impeached. Mm. Um, well, it's a relatively straightforward guitar part that drives the legacy, isn't it? Once you get out of the initial bit and you're into the sort of the more like the verse structure, it's a yeah, it's a, it's a kind of a distant cousin of Under the Sun in the sense yeah. that it's very straightforward. You know, it's almost pub rock, isn't it? Mm. Um, so, I mean, the album's very instant, really, until you get to Lulu. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Um, I guess so, and then, and then, House is so very different mm. to the rest of the. I, I think I probably wrote House. In fact, um, I wrote the verses of House, and so it has a very different nature to to the other stuff. And then, of course, the choruses of House. Um, for anyone who hasn't noticed, chordally, they're the chords from the middle eight of these chains. You know, the the the, the sun, the dawn was breaking over the field, and all of that. That section of these chains is the chorus of house. I didn't, I, and I'd never noticed that. Well, you, you go back and check and those check two out, out and you'll see that they're interchangeable chordally. Mm. Because um, I thought they were really cool chords, and uh, I don't know at what stage. Probably when we were, maybe when we were jamming at the jamming stage of of these chains. Maybe I'd I'd thrown the chorus of house on the same jam mm. and couldn't bear to part with it. So that appears. Um, that appears in in house. Exactly the same chords, in the same way that The Hollow Man and Great Escape mm. are the same progressions. Same, yeah. Because that is the... I don't want to say it's the outlier on the album, but, I mean, it's it's it sounds different. The production's very different. It um, was mixed by a different bloke. Mm. It, was, it, was, it was mixed. What happened with Dotcom was that we had, uh, we had a bizarre digital experiment pretty sure that was the album and uh, somebody I think it was Mackie had released the first digital mixing desk yes they did do and we bought it mm. and we recorded the album with it and then Stuart Every mixed the album with it and when he played as the mixers we all thought we'd gone mad mm. because nothing was glued together it was a really strange sound and really not very musical and peculiar. And we all went, oh, God, who's, you know, who's going to tell him? You know, we, and it wasn't his fault. It was the equipment. Mm. And for whatever reason, I, I don't know, but, but they've probably sorted it out now. But however, that first digital desk summed summed things together it no, didn't it sum them work. together musically yeah. and so then we had a complete panic because the uh, we we were right up against a deadline and we were about to th- reject all of the mixes mm. and so we thought oh god what are we going to do who do we know that mixes really well and super fast and mm. that was steve wilson so we got on the phone at Steve Wilson, asked him if he'd be interested in doing in doing uh, in doing a bit of mixing for us, and he he jumped at the chance because uh, he'd always wanted to work with us, which was great. That was before he became a sort of big star, star in yeah, his yeah. own right. But he was really up for it, 
And I remember running round to his mum and dad's bungalow, and he had they had this little they had this little sort of box room in the front of the bungalow where Steve used to work. And the speakers were on top of the wardrobe. I mean, they were in the most mental place you'd ever put some speakers to monitor something. How the hell he managed to do the work that he did um, in that room, I really don't know. But it it worked for him, and mm. and and he 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 as I'm sure he still does. He he, he worked very fast and produced great sounding mixes in seemingly no time at all um he's a, he's a brilliant um he's a brilliant engineer in the sense that not only does he know what he wants to hear but he knows how to how to he get it, it with the technology and he gets in seconds yeah um so because it was a different world back then so <clears throat> for anybody who's produced any kind of music in the past 15 years it's all done in the computer so you you set up a mix you listen to it you can tweak it and all those kind of things um digital desks brought automation which was handy but still you were playing something all the way through and then going back and doing it again in the more old-fashioned way of mixing Mm. so consequently if you didn't like something you had to reset a whole load of stuff to effectively do a mix again it's not like now where you can tweak you know you can run it through master it go i really don't like that bit and actually fix it relatively quickly yeah, yeah um back be. back then it was it was everything was essentially done in real time hmm. um so to be able f- for him to do that at that speed but that's the the point then when you handed the mix for house to somebody else yeah what i was trying to get to was that um st- i don't think house was ready to mix when steve, hmm. steve was, was doing it Either that or he was busy doing the other mixes and we were so short of time, we, we needed to mix house while he was mixing the yeah. other stuff. And I'd got a friend called Trevor Vallis um, who mixed the Animal Song for the Europeans way back in the way back. And he used to be the boyfriend of Jonathan Hodges' personal assistant. I can't remember her name, but Jonathan Hodges did the... Who did the lip smacking thirst question yeah. and and drove his Mercedes into the pond at Hammersmith and all of that? Not Hammersmith, Hampstead. Um, he he, uh, he of the two bottles of champagne and a bottle of Benelin fame, <laughs> and the uh, <laughs> that's probably the t-shirt we should have had done. <laughs> and the Barbican penthouse <laughs> and the gangsters. Um, <laughs> him, well, he his assistant. Um, what was her name? She wasn't Debbie. She had one of those Debbie kind of names. I can't remember. And that her husband was Trevor Vallis. I don't know if they're still together. And Trevor was an engineer. And that's how come um, we got some. He got us some downtime at studio in North London, and and we recorded and mixed the Animal mm. Song through the night, which you know then became a hit in California and got a lot of airplay and all of that. Well, I hadn't seen Trevor for years, and then um, it turns out he had the most colossal accident on the M1 motorway, where he'd been he'd been working in a studio up north somewhere and driving home after the sessions, and he was driving home at about four in the morning, and he woke up upside down in the air, going over the central <laughs> reservation of the M1 and landed on the car landed on the roof on the opposite carriageway Jesus. Um, 
and he said by some very very strange uh, twist of fate, I climbed out of the back window completely unharmed, and I was stood looking at the car in a bit of a daze when the police arrived. And the police arrived. The policeman got out and 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 said and said to him, "Well, whoever's in there has bought it, haven't they?" And and he said, "Well, no, it was me." And the and the copper couldn't believe that he was standing there, so he was he was uh, he was saved by uh, um, what do they call it? Um, providence. Um, and so I phoned him up, and he came in and mixed house. Mm. Um, and so it does sound quite different mm. to all the other tracks because it just had a completely different human being in control of it. Um, so it is a bit of a fish out of water on that album, and I guess you either love it or hate it. Mm. Did, what was the influence behind it? House. Well, it was it was simply about um, the uh, the sort of domestic despair that my ex-wife and I were in at that mm. point the the house we lived in was just redolent of 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 pain and of of two people trying to live together um amidst uh, a, 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 an environment of shame and guilt and hurt um, you know, to the point where it felt like the walls themselves were aching. Mm. Um, I think it speaks for itself, really, that lyric. But it, it, it had it had come from from that, mm. you know, and and the fact that on the days when she was happy, it cut me deeper than when she wasn't mm. somehow. And in terms of the sound of it. Because clearly it does sound different. Did Trevor get a different brief? Was there something you were chasing? It's got... Um, um, I'm trying to think of which of the Massive Attack um, songs it's got a sound of, but um, it's it's got a sound... That's yeah, maybe with, it's more in that, you know, with the, the sustained strings. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I love Massive Attack, and whether I, would chan- I was channeling them, I probably was at the time probably channeling unfinished sympathy or, mm. or something like that um i think um i think i was just playing those chords one day and i think pete trousers was playing the that almost uh walking on the moon kind mm. of bass line isn't mm. it because i think he, maybe maybe he was channeling walking on the moon <laughs> and I was channeling massive attack. I don't know, um, but we, you know, that that worked in the studio jamming. And is that one of the? Is that a song that everybody in the band likes, or is that a song? One of those songs that's got fans and. I think, I I think it confused the band for a bit, but then we played it at one of the. Conventions. I think we played it at Minehead. See, I'm actually at the point where I, I can just start. about remember. I could <laughs> still never knowingly accurate, but I've got a feeling that we played it at Minehead, and 
we all felt it worked really well live. Mm. And and once the band had heard it working on stage, I think I think it was reassessed. Mm. I think it was rehabilitated mm. and brought into the uh, brought into the fold at that point. And then, of course, much later, we when we did the whole album, we 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 did it again in in Port Salant with the original with the guy who actually played the trumpet on the record. Mm. It was a brilliant, brilliant trumpeter. I think he's called Guy Barker, but I could be wrong. It's Can't a great bird trumpet. It really is. A it's beautiful. Stunning. But Mark hated it because Mark hate, hated mute trumpet because mm. it it was so the opposite of prog Mm. it was so jazz you know it it was so uh um of of another ilk Mm. completely and he just said i hate mute trumpet and i know what it means because i used to hate mute trumpet um but when i saw him do that it just blew me away Mm. it was so beautiful and it was so right for the song Mm. um and I think even Mark's come round to it since he's had it played in front of him, you know, mm. by, by by such a brilliant player. And it was great to have him come. I don't think he was Guy Barker, was he? I'm thinking of someone else. Anyway, whatever he you can you can fill his name in, or we can look it up. But um, maybe I should look it up and credit him. Should I put? Should I go and pause? Wait, I can have a quick look in. It might be in here. While we're while we're talking, I'll have a quick look first. Yeah, because because we I phoned him up and and he he was no longer a musician. He was just doing something else and living a quiet life. And because uh, he wanted to, or because he couldn't make, I a bit of both, I think. Yeah, and such and a shame. It's, yeah, it's absolutely tells you everything you need to yeah, know about the arts in a way. You you have to be prepared to. to risk all really to keep going and if you can make a living out of any of the arts you've got to remember how blessed you are to be able to because Mm. there's some serious talents out there that have gone by the wayside because i mean he really is a player yeah oh yeah he was i think i found him because i think he'd i think he'd been on sessions that i'd done in the past so he was a proper serious mm. session trumpeter that um i think he again i think he played i think he played with the europeans way that's back. not the guy who played with ian is it no that's, he's a sax player that's that's ben, roy castle's son ben, ben castle, castle yeah. yeah 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 he played on deserve so ben castle played the sax on deserve yeah. that's him and we had a guy called phil todd who played the sax on uh, Berlin on on season's end, and then came back and did the sax solo in this strange engine for us. They're both Phil Todd. He's amazing, um, and Ben Castle, who's also a brilliant sax saxophonist, came in and did deserve for us. It it seems a bit. It must just have been the muted trumpet then, because it's, because it's not like you've not used brass. You've used you know a solo instrument and also. Um, you know, brass because because you've got brass refrains in certain songs and you've got solos with brass instruments. So 
It seems a bit not strange that Mark would have a problem, but it must just have been the because I mean, music trumpet is very jazz, isn't it? You just you just go straight to Miles Davis, don't you? I think it just represents something in your mind, you know, uh, especially when you're young. Yeah, and uh, and I I can't give Mark a hard time for it because I, I I used to have exactly the same phobia of mute trumpet. I would have phobias of certain sounds because because they would. I would associate certain genres with them that I decided I hated. Uh, and you do that when you're young. And that's not necessarily a bad thing because it's part of what gives you your own direction. Um, is is that, you know, that uncompromising, I hate that, I don't want to be anything like that and I don't want to be anything like that and I don't want to be anything like that. You know, and so you carve... You know, in a laser beam sort of fashion, you, you you carve your own direction, which has as much to do with with what you hate as what you love. What you like. yeah. But as you get older, you I think those hatreds slowly dissolve because you start you you hear things and go, God, I thought I hated that, and that's amazing, isn't it? Mm. Um, and and so you you reassess those things. Well, let's face it, a lot of us through the early 80s, would never have admitted to liking ABBA. No. No, no, I wouldn't have. No. Um, and, and, and others as well. But ABBA's the obvious one for me because I just now look at it as absolute genius. Yeah. I, well, I was so into me rock and me prog when I was 17 and 18 that anything that was in the pop charts and it was overtly pop, I was suspicious of. Mm. I didn't particularly like soul music. No, um, no I didn't like soul music at that age. You know, I didn't like what black people were doing no. <laughs> much. No. You know, but then again, and then one day you get you roll out of bed and you hear heard it through the grapevine and what's going on, and you think, hang on a minute, and then you hear Stevie Wonder, you know, and suddenly you think, hang on a minute. Maybe these black people uh, ain't so bad. In fact, maybe they're better at it than we are. Yeah. In fact, maybe we got it all <laughs> from there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, on, and on you go. Um, Neil Yates. That was him. Neil, Neil Yates, Yates, trumpet on Deserve and House. Yeah. So the additional musicians, Ben Castle, sax on Deserve. Um, Neil Yates, trumpet on Deserve and House. And Andy Rotherham, additional hand clapping on Rich. <laughs> That's impressive to get a credit for hand clapping. <laughs> well, it was either that or pay him. <laughs> I suppose. I suppose if if you know if you can if Chucho can get a was it Chucho who who got the uh, on Grace Jones for for doing the hi hat? Oh oh uh, well yeah, but he did all of it. Um, uh, Lewis Lewis Jardine. Lewis, if he can get if he can get a credit for just going. I don't. Yeah, but I don't think Trevor gave him that credit. I think <laughs> well, you have, have to meet him to find that we out. Have, we have. We've, yeah. we've set the record he, straight. I don't think Trevor. I don't think Trevor created, credited him with anything. Uh, but he, he did just about play all of it, including the bass. Right. Well, we'll get on to a bit of diary, and we're on the penultimate, penultimate bit of. I can't even say that. Penultimate. Yeah, that that as well. A bit of diary because we've got seven pages of diary to go. So uh, we'll do this this week, and then next week will be the last bit of Volume 1. So this week we're going to do Munich and Bonn. Munich and Bonn. Munich and Bonn. Two fine places. Two very fine places. And then we'll do the last couple of bits next week. So we're nearly there. Gosh. Um, nearly there. Gosh. You know, you said that at some point you'd thought about 
you know, turn it into an audio book, but you haven't got the patience. Well, you've done it. Yes. I wouldn't have had the patience to read through that all in one go, man. No. God, how long has it taken? Well, we'll go to that, and we'll come back for a few a few bits of uh, nonsense afterwards, and we'll wrap it up after that. I don't think I've got a future in voiceover work. <laughs> well, as long as nobody's in a rush. As long as it's nice and short. Get, get you in when they're just thinking about the product rather than at the end when they've designed it? Yes. 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 Right, well, let's nip off Munich. Munich. Let's go to Munich. Friday, 3rd of October, Munich. Got up around 8.30 and helped Sue to get Sophie and Nile ready for school. At nine o'clock I walked them round the corner and down the lane. Nile ricked his neck on Wednesday and had a couple of days off. I took him to my masseur when I went for my customary mid-tour session and he seems much better now. Sophie got upset at the school gate. She doesn't want me to go away again and she cried quite a lot as we said goodbye. I know she'll be okay, but it's difficult for both of us. Niall wasn't too bothered. He walked on towards the playground as she sobbed into my arms. I didn't want him hanging around getting upset as well. I returned home and showered before packing my things for the forthcoming last leg, and I'm on mine, of the tour. At eleven o'clock, a car took me to Aylesbury to pick up Steve R and then on to Terminal 1 for the one thirty flight to Munich. Sue seemed to be okay when I left home, so I was spared that upset at least. It's hard enough as it is. I don't really want to go away again. I've had enough. Once you get to the airport and get caught up in the hustle and bustle of travel, you don't feel so low, you just get on with it. Thankfully, it's only a two-hour flight to Munich, a pleasant change from the 11-hour long hauls. I spent the flight relaxing and reading and grappling with aeroplane food and drinks. The food on British Airways was noticeably better than the stuff they placed before us on American Airlines. In Munich, the weather was sunny but crisp. We took cabs to the Munich Park Hilton and arrived around 6, and I checked into room 830. I've stayed here many times. I remember being here with the Europeans. Spandau Ballet were in the swimming pool. The terror of discovering that the sauna was mixed and full of naked German blokes with bushy moustaches and bulbous stomachs. German ladies with floppy breasts and legs akimbo. I was young at the time and more easily embarrassed than now. It was also here that downstairs in the nightclub, which is now a Chinese restaurant, Joe Cocker advised me to, quote, never drink anything you can't see through. He was drinking something I couldn't see through at the time. I left my scarf in the nightclub, and when I went back searching for it the following morning, he was still sitting at the bar. He'd been there all night. Here again in 1997, there's no Spandau Ballet, although I've been known to play the occasional gig with Big Tone, and there's no Joe Cocker. The hotel appears to be full of old men from America, all wearing matching blazers and shouting unselfconsciously across the lobby as only the Americans, and possibly the Australians, can. We're in Munich during the Oktoberfest, and Chrissy Erlings, who represents our promoter Peter Rieger, has arrived at the Hilton to take us there at seven o'clock. 
Peters reserved a table in one of the beer tents. It wasn't what I was expecting. I was expecting a large canvas marquee in a park. But in actual fact, the whole festival is like a big fairground, complete with sideshows and brightly lit rides and stalls. Flanking the fair are huge, stripy, circus-like tents with security men at the entrances. Once inside, there are seemingly endless rows of trestle tables packed with people amid the noisy chaos of a party in full swing. There's a stage in the centre with a band playing oompa disco music and everyone's having a ball, singing along to the dreadful music. When I was younger, this would have been my idea of a nightmare. Tonight, I see it for what it is. Despite having been somewhat hijacked by the tourist industry, the Oktoberfest is, at heart, a simple celebration of relief and thanks for a harvest gathered in, when, traditionally, the working people could relax and take a break from their labours before the rigours of the winter. The atmosphere here tonight retains that spirit of simple and good-natured drunken celebration. I was into it, even before Chrissy handed me the biggest glass of beer I'd ever held, so after consuming an excellent plate of roast pork and another beer, I was having a great time. Some of the revellers bring their own musical instruments and drunkenly play along with the band from wherever they happen to be sitting. A man in a Santa Claus hat at the next table, definitely sloshed, had brought a trumpet and between beers played along without once missing a note. He must be a brilliant musician when he's sober. An older chap at the end of our table had brought a melodica, which he tootled onto himself in between affable grins. People were constantly milling around, tottering along as only drunks can, while buxom waitresses carried fistfuls of steins, empty or brimming, en route to the tables. Believe me, these girls are strong. A handful of steins weighs about the same as an anvil, and these must be carried the length of these enormous halls. I know I would be struggling to do it. I chatted to Chrissy about Peter's traumatic experiences with Tommy the Musical. From the outset he'd wanted me to play the lead, and he flew me to New York a couple of times before his intentions were hijacked by the politics and agenda of the production company. In my opinion, Peter was shafted royally as a consequence of his inexperience in the Byzantine calculations of American showbiz. Is that vague enough so I don't get sued? The big production musical is a lot further away from rock and roll than we all thought. A musical about rock and roll is still a musical. Any connection with rock and roll is tenuous. To this day, I'm still surprised that Pete Townsend got into bed with it. I guess he just looked after the art of it and left the politics to someone else. I'm thankful I never got involved. It would have driven me nuts. It damn nearly finished Peter Rieger. He lost millions of marks and ended up with a triple heart bypass. That deaf, dumb and blind kid sure plays a mean pinball. By 11 o'clock, I too was drunk. We returned to the Hilton by cab and I staggered around my room for a while before going to bed. Luckily, the room wasn't spinning. One more beer would have done it. Tuesday, 7th of October, Bon Biscuit Halle. I lay in my bunk long after I felt the bus park outside the Biscuit Halle. 
The bustle of the crew getting up and out and the clanking of the truck being unloaded all washed over me as I drifted in and out of sleep. I eventually got up at one thirty and made my way into the familiar backstage area. We've played here four or five times now. Alan Parker was coming the other way, singing A Life on the Ocean Wave. He said, Good morning. Are you only just up, you lucky bastard? I helped myself to the first coffee of the day and wandered into the hall to see how the crew were doing. The biscuit huller is a comparatively easy gig for the crew. The equipment rolls out of the truck and onto the stage. When I arrived, most of the back line was already set up. My guitar amp blew a fuse yesterday, so I was anxious to see if it would work today. It seemed to be okay. I returned to catering for another coffee, and Jane made me a cheese and ham toasty for breakfast. Wes wandered through catering and told me that there's a music shop across the road. I went there with Eric in search of a repairman, and we were in luck. A repair boffin was in residence and could look at my amp around four o'clock. I returned to the gig and carried the amp back myself. Meanwhile, Oliver, our promoter's rep, had arranged for my stage trousers, torn to bits again, to go to a seamstress for more repairs. I seemed to be dogged by amps and trousers on this tour. When I returned to the venue, the band had arrived, so I said hello and had a chinwag before returning across the road to discuss my ailing amplifier with the repair doctor. It all turned out to be a waste of time. He said he couldn't fix it, but he's arranged a replacement component, which he doesn't have, to go to the hotel in Bielefeld in two days' time. Oh well. I had to take the amp back in the car, as it had suddenly started to rain really hard. Soundcheck involved borrowing Duncan's amp again. Duncan is the guitarist-stroke-BVist from our opening act, Picture House, a good-time pop group from Dublin. Naturally, they are a friendly bunch of chaps. Nothing seems to faze them, and they've been going down really well with our fans during the shows. I've been using their amplifier since Luxembourg. I'm going to try and get my combo fixed just one last time, then it's going in a skip. After soundcheck, I chatted with a bunch of Dutch and German fan club people who were hanging at the stage door. Rob Crossland, Marillion's most dedicated and well-travelled fan, needed a photo pass. I arranged for everyone to get in okay before climbing on the bus for my pre-show nap. I lay in my bunk, listening to the bass bumps from Picture House coming through the walls of the building to the car park outside, and drifting in and out of sleep. When I emerged at 8.35, John A was in the dressing room. He said there's news, so I arranged a ten-minute briefing after the show. And what a show it was. I suppose it must have been the lighting and the crowd size, around 1800, making the temperature on stage almost sauna-like. By the third song, I was ringing wet. Heat makes everything much more tiring, and physically the show was the most demanding since the high-altitude Mexico City gig. It took me and the crowd a while to get going. I lost it for a while after I discovered the multicores on the front of the stage hadn't been taped down. One slip or trip and I'm off the front of the stage and head first onto concrete. I do occasionally fall from stages. So far, I've been lucky. Further irritation ensued during Estonia when the crew remedied the situation, 
tearing off strips of gaffer tape, a sound identical to pants splitting during the quiet spiritual verses of the song. I had to reach down and throw the roll of tape into the crowd to stop it. I hope nobody caught it in the face. I'm experienced enough now to know that getting annoyed is the worst thing I can do during a show. It doesn't stop me getting annoyed though, unfortunately, and then I get annoyed for getting annoyed. Anyway, the show progressed and the crowd began to come to life, and me with them of course. It was a steep upward spiral and I can't remember quite where it came from. Maybe the sweat did it. By the end of the show the crowd were amazing and somehow more affectionate than I can ever remember a German audience being. I was losing myself in them. Not a good idea, because then I forget the words. Verse 2 of Slange went missing almost completely. Am I losing my mind, or is the world getting better? I'm sure the food is better in America than two years ago. Both in Munich and Bonn, I noticed some strange spiritual awakening in the crowd. A most un-German tenderness. Strong enough at last to be beautiful. It ultimately boils down to strength. I don't think I imagined this change. After the last encore, we stood together as a band at the front of the stage to enjoy the noise and, in our unspoken, ungestured way, to salute the crowd here in Bon Cologne. We never do this, but tonight it felt like a natural thing to do. Thank you, Bon. I returned to the dressing room to grab a robe. I was almost on my knees with exhaustion, but I returned to the edge of the stage to watch the last of the people filing out of the back of the hall and trying to save the last lost drops of magic from this evening in this room. At midnight, it was Angie's birthday. Champagne was popped and we toasted her health and thanked her for her many efforts on our behalf, which have gone unrewarded for so long. I had my 10-minute meeting with John. He reckons we're only 18 months away from recouping our considerable debt to EMI and then we'll start receiving royalty checks. I believe it when I see it. It's never happened to me before. Our current record label, Castle, has ceased to exist in all but name. It seems we now have a legal case in favour of getting out of the contract. Watch this space. I drank beer and tried to chat with the assembled throng backstage, but I was still too buzzy to really make conversation. Eventually, I emerged outside to sign a few things and have my photograph taken with yet more strangers, before climbing onto the bus with a sigh of wonder and relief. I suppose I must have had a drink with the crew, but it's all a blur. I probably read a little in my bunk before sleeping. I'm currently on A Prayer for Owen Meany by John Irving. Rolling. Rolling stable. And we're back. Full ahead. Yay. Yay. Um, <laughs> you've got lovely twinkle lights outside your kitchen window. I know. I know they're good though. Yeah, they're, they're really good. They're, really good. They're, they're, they're Sort of vaguely blue. Lynetta yeah. doesn't like them. But I do. All right. Okay. Um, we, we're not going to talk about the diary um, because none of us have read it. Um, and, <laughs> you know, it's probably not, not, not worth saying what do you remember. I wonder what happened in Munich. Yeah. Um, but you've, you've confirmed live stream for Oxford. Mm. 
You've announced Liverpool. I have. And you've announced Hamburg. Hamburg as well. Yeah. All done. How are they going? Well, Oxford sold out anyway, isn't it, apart from... Oxford sold out a very long time ago, yeah, I'm, I'm thrilled to say. Um, the live stream was only announced at the beginning of the week, so I've no clue um, how that's doing, but it's very early days. And the thing about a live stream, of course, is you can buy a ticket for it two minutes before oh, it happens, so it's not like a gig where you've got to hurry because it can't sell out and everybody's on the front row. So... Um, We'll see. I have no idea how that's going to sell. Um, apparently, I got a I got an email copied through from Udo in in Germany yesterday, and he, he just put, "By the way, um, tickets are going very fast for right. your Hamburg show." Wow, which is great. Yeah, I've no idea how the cavern's doing, but it usually does all right. I saw a few people who booked. So um, what's going to help is the fact that Oxford's already gone as well. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, it's that geographical split as well. And there's loads of people support Manchester and loads of people support Liverpool when the band are playing. Yeah. And you've always done well up there, so... Uh, well, when I played the cavern last time, it was rammed. Yeah. It was really rammed. It ju- I guess it just boils down to how comfortable people are squashed together. In a in a sweaty club, uh, uh, you know, and d- during the pandemic. Well, most people will have been boosted by then. Yeah, I'm boosted. Um, how was it? How was your boost? Um, it was. Um, I mean, I had no side effects whatsoever. Right. When I had the original first AZ, um, I just felt a bit tired for a two or three days, didn't mm. really want to get off the sofa. I didn't feel ill. I just felt really drained. And out. I felt a bit jaded when I had the second one, mm. but nothing at all with the booster. Right. What I mean, did you have? Were you Pfizer or Moderna? I think I had Moderna. Yeah, I had Moderna. Uh, nothing. Really nothing, you know. Not even a sore arm. No. Well, everybody by then, certainly by Liverpool, everybody will have been boosted with with what's going through. I mean, literally everybody will have been boosted by then. Just as an update as well for Oxford, um, we're gonna we're gonna do a bit of TCD, aren't we? Mm. Yeah, we gonna, I said we would. Yeah, gonna do a little yeah, bit of preamble. Uh, I said, what was it? I expect something that's a cross between a recital, a bonfire, and a cattle auction. Yeah, with no. a with a Christmassy sort of with a Christmassy sort of vibe. That, that you've probably got it, and and. We'll probably say this on the night, but you've always wanted, you've always said you wanted the hate shows to be interactive mm. and to people just uh, get involved in a conversation rather than just shouting out song exactly. titles. Exactly, that was always the idea. So we're gonna we're gonna try and make that bit of it happen. So what we'll probably do is we'll probably be asking the purples, the patrons, for questions. Yeah, uh, come along with a question. Come along for a question, and we'll try. We're gonna work that bit in. So it'll be a bit more like a guest book Q and A. TCD rather than a straight ahead TCD but we're going to try and get that bit of I'm going to try and facilitate it not quite sure if it's going to work yet but we'll uh, we'll see we'll see how we get we get yeah on. it'd be, be good to try and do that being as we've got live human beings in the room in the room we can get a little bit of feedback and it's a, an easier venue to do it in than say something like the cavern because the cavern that'd be really difficult in the cavern but in the church it's actually quite quite doable isn't it so uh it should work quite well. Yeah, in a cavern, you can't stop them getting involved. 
<laughs> no, no, they're screaming out whatever. You can't get them to shut up at any point. <laughs> right, well, we'll we'll leave it there um, uh, for for this episode of TCD. Uh, and of course, it's all merging together because we're kind of recording two at the same time. Um, and uh, the next time, the next time I see you to record one, it'll be back on screen again, won't it? Yes, yes. Back the yes, we'll be back it. zooming. Back zooming. Christmas bollocks, probably. Oh yes, with uh, with, with Chris. With Chris, yeah, better yeah. get that organised. We do, we do because he's, he's he's agreed to come back and uh, do do that. Yeah, we we can't um, deny the purples or the good people. Out in the world, Christmas bollocks, having... With Chris Neal. Promised. Having promised, yes. We promised you Christmas bollocks, folks. Have you had a, a, any, crochet, any crocheted bollocks <laughs> Ball sent, <bags>. <laughs> sent through? <laughs> Not yet, but I, I can hear the very distant <laughs> sound of, of, of crochet needles. Well, that's most of the Welsh, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> currently the, most of the of Welsh. The Welsh... Crocheting and playing the harp. Yeah. Very distant. A little bit of close harmony singing while it's going on. <laughs> Fantastic. It is lovely. I'll see you next time. Cheer, everybody. Happy Christmas, nearly. I'll say happy Christmas next time, too. And the time after that. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Thank you to Frogger and thank you to Peavy and thank you to all the Purples and a Happy New Year. Now wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Thanks for listening to the Corona Diaries. It featured Steve Hogarth with the insights and me, Ant Short, with the questions. If you enjoyed the podcast, please consider subscribing and maybe leaving a review as this will help others find it. You could even share with other like-minded souls, should the mood take you. This has been an A Short Stories production.